Good morning, friends. Thank you for tuning in with us as we continue on in our study here of the Christian and finance. Uh, we've aptly named In God We Trust. Uh, we've been tackling for the last several um, weeks, studies, lessons, I don't know, however you want to categorize that, uh, what the Christian budget looks like. And we've been looking at a budget worksheet and working through all the different elements. And so we're going to continue on that today um, and look at a few more elements there and try to help you plan accordingly uh, as we look at where we should be from a stewardship standpoint and where we should be for a, from a kingdom standpoint with what we've been entrusted with. Uh, it's joining me always from the beautiful city of Somerset, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Ray. How's everything in Somerset? It always looks like I'm coming to you from the jungle, from my <laughs> background. I check on this YouTube occasionally, and it looks like I just I enjoy the fact that it looks like I'm, I'm in the jungle. Uh, I'm very well, my friend. Everything is beautiful. Um, the Christian budget is an index of the Christian heart. I'm going to stick on that thought today. Uh, if we're getting if we're getting closer to Jesus, our budget ought to be getting more kingdom oriented. So uh, I hope I hope everybody's kind of got that thought as we uh, as we plow some ground this morning. Yeah, that's one of the things that um, you know I've, I've been thinking about in this too. Is like most other things, it's a faith issue. Um, you know, I think that's what it comes down to. It, to fix the budget is not a math issue. Uh, I, I think to fix the budget is first we let's draw a little closer to Jesus, and it's these decisions become easier. Um, yes. But if we're trying to draw closer to Jesus with a pencil and a slide rule and an abacus, I, I don't think that's the right way. I think that was a shot at the accounting profession. <laughs> I took it personally, but I actually think you're right. Uh, we talked about in the in the last lesson. Um, you know, if we're going to figure any of this out, the first debt we got to figure out is the big debt, and the big debt is we got to get right with Jesus. And and if if we if we figure that debt and we understand that debt and and we uh, comprehend the debt forgiveness that is available to us there. Um, th this budget will get in line. I mean, we, we've talked about this budget's aspirational. It doesn't happen overnight, but Christian hearts have Christian budgets. And uh, so I, I hope that we've made that point clear is, is all of the issues that we're talking about here are downstream from making, making the first right choice. Um, it's kind of like buttoning a dress shirt. If you get the top button wrong, every button down below that is going to be jacked up and you can't ever make it look right. Um, and so if, if you get, let's get the top button, right. And uh, if we get the top button, right, the rest of the stuff will fall into place eventually. That analogy rings home when you're the father of little boys that try to dress themselves on Sunday morning. It is <laughs> outstanding. Um, especially when they don't understand why the buttons don't line up. Right. Um, <laughs> well, listen, I was talking personally, but maybe I just got more issues than you've got. <laughs> All right, as we, uh, as we turn our attention here um, to our budget, let's, let's do a quick kind of recap of, uh, of where we've been. And so, you know, we start here with uh, verses that, that we've mentioned a bunch that, you know, the, the first step in this process, the first step in any process, um, and if we're talking about salvation, you know, the, the, this, these Proverbs and, and, and this message from Luke is, is the same. You know, where are you at? You know, uh, know the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches don't last forever. You know, we've got to know where we're at. Um, you got to know where your heart is. You got to know where your flock is. You got to know where your assets are. You got to know where it's at. And uh, I think we talked about this in the beginning. You know, in my profession as a financial planner, uh, it's amazing how many people have no idea what, what their assets are, what their liabilities are, what it costs to run their house on a month. They just don't know. Um, and I think until we start digging in and, and looking, um, and I think it's the same thing if you're in sin and you're living in the world, you don't really know you're lost until you stumble upon the fact that you're lost. So, you know, that, that's the first step is know where you're at. And then from Luke 14, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down first and compute the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. And in that statement, Jesus is talking about the cost to follow him. You know, you better figure this out, um, figure out whether you got what it takes uh, it's worth it, absolutely, but you got to understand that you know there's a cost here that you're going to have to put up. So that's where we start: is that those same biblical scriptural principles of kind of know where you're at, and, and and therefore you can know where you're going. I'll, Mike, I'll <laughs> briefly take us through kind of the the elements of this of this stewardship budget that we've talked about. Again, this is a this is a fictional family um, that we're we're discussing, but but one that has kingdom principles. 
And we've got this aspirational stewardship budget that we have displayed and talked about. All budgets are based on an income. This, this one is uh, based on a, a medium median household income in the state of Kentucky of $50,000. We kind of based our assumptions off of that. And as we discussed in a kingdom uh, budget, the, the thing that, that comes first is kingdom priorities. And so what are we, what are we giving? So we're going to, we're going to make that decision first and then make all of their decisions downstream of that. It's a, it's a personal, you know, prayerful meditation kind of decision of what this number should be. There's not a, there's not a, um, formulaic um, percentage that, that God would give us in, in scripture. But there is that, that, you know, we agree that in a, in a kingdom budget, giving uh, generosity comes first. And, it, and we, we believe that if we do that, that people that are uh, funnels and not buckets that aren't trying to be accumulators, but they're trying to be redeployment of God's resources to where they're needed that those are the ones that truly prosper. So we got this giving first in the budget. What are we going to give? And then we talked about after that, <clears throat> we have to be prepared personally for um, replacement of things that are going to be lost, whether that is, you know, things that are going to have to be re repaired or replaced in our home or our car, or whether we're talking about income that's going to have to be replaced after we retire. Um, so we got this, this saving bucket um, that we might really call a replacement bucket, um, that we're we're not caught off guard when those things in life happen. Um, so we've got we've got that bucket. So we're going to give, we're going to save, and then we're going to prudently spend. Um, and the, the biggest portion of most budgets is is housing. We talked about that at some length. And do we have kingdom purposes in mind when we're talking about our uh, our housing? Um, after that, we discussed briefly the the corrosive. Um, impact of, of personal debt, not talking about mortgage debt here uh, specifically, we, we, we touched on that in the housing, but uh, credit card debt, other personal debt, revolving debt, student loan debt, those kind of, those kind of issues, and how any, this family is able to have um, a stewardship, this aspirational stewardship budget because these lines are zeros. Um, and and if, if there were requirements uh, here, it just puts pressure on other places in the budget and requires us to make uh, sacrifices to our giving or to our saving. Um, uh, and so as we work toward the aspirational budget, we, we mentioned those things. Um, so as we moving, touch on that quickly, we're going we're to touch on everybody's favorite topic today, <clears throat> and that's taxes. Um, and you can say, well, what, what, what kingdom, um, what, what, <laughs> how, how do you make a kingdom argument about taxation? Um, you either pay these taxes or you go to jail. Well, I, I think that there, there actually are, there's quite a bit of conversation about taxes and, and what the Christian um, response to taxation is. And as you can see, this, this, again, this fictional family understands that there are taxes involved. Um, in, in the housing portion of our, of our budget, we talked about property taxes that was in, included in that budget. We've also, you know, we got income taxes and that's primarily what's discussed here in this line. Um, and so Mike, we got in our modern world, we got a lot of different jurisdictions and we got a lot of different um, uh, types of tax. But if we think that that is a new phenomenon, we're kidding ourselves, right? Right. So, so quick question here, uh, like our check our knowledge question here. Um, if you were to do a quick search on your Bible app for tax, in the New Testament, how many verses do you think pop up? That's a good question. I, I didn't. I didn't do a count, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess a dozen. Thirty-seven. I'm, really? Okay. Thirty-seven verses in the New Testament mention tax or taxes the, okay. or the plural, right? So thirty-seven verses. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting too. So I, I did that. You know, kind of prepping for this of you know, making sure I didn't, you know, miss some of the things. But uh, I find it interesting that there's that much that, you know, Jesus talks about. Um, you know, we're going to get into to several of those verses uh, this, this morning throughout our study. But for, for those that, you know, kind of give that, you know, hey, taxes are just awful and, you know, they don't really have any place in here. God is good. Tax is bad. Taxation uh, is theft. 
the taxation is theft um, for our libertarian friends. Um, you know, it's all, it's all relative. Taxes were happening in the first century. Um, if we want to dig back into Leviticus, again, I, I just mentioned New Testament, right? I didn't do the search in the Old Testament. But the Levitical law lays out a tax system, right? And, you know, there's temple taxes and there's, you know, uh, taxes for this and that. Um, you know, the, the sin, you can call them essentially sin taxes. Your offerings that had to be given and sacrifice out of a monetary value that had to be given depending on how, how bad you were that year. You know, you owed that in to the priests and the Levites and, and, and the sacrifice for, for the, the whole community. So, again, to echo Michael's point, not new, but also, you know, we've got to be prudent. We've got to think about this, right? Um, you know, that we've got a responsibility here. I want to back up just a, a quick second, too, to where we started um, on the budget. We're using gross numbers at the top. So, you know, that's the other thing that when we started this budget with our fictional family, that is gross income. That's not take-home income. So we started with gross. And at some point, we've got to come around to deal with the fact that, you know, the FICA man is going to show up and take some money uh, out of your check. And that FICA man shows up just before payday. Um, like if you get paid at eight o'clock in the morning, FICA shows up at seven fifty-seven to take his part, and then you get your paycheck. Yeah, well said, and, and that that may that's probably an omission from our stewardship budget here. If we were trying to get deep in the weeds, that we would we would need to take care of. Um, but you know, I think everyone that's listening to this understands that um, you know whether we're talking about income taxes or property taxes um, or sales taxes. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of different in, in state, local, federal, there's a lot of different jurisdictions, a lot of different types of taxes. And maybe we think that that is just a, a, uh, uh, a part of living in the modern world. In reality, Jesus dealt with a lot of those same issues. Uh, he dealt with multi we'll talk about, it. he dealt with multi jurisdictions, multiple jurisdictions that he, he paid taxes to and, they, he dealt with the multiple kinds of taxes, and, and his followers did also. In fact, if anything, the taxation system in Rome in the first century was way more Byzantine even than our tax code today, right? Because, because ours is somewhat um, laid out and enforceable in forms. The, the, and, and as we'll talk about, the, the Roman system was, it was l much less transparent. <laughs> and especially in Judea, it was whatever the publican could extort, right? And so... Um, we certainly, you know, there, there is taxation at, a, at a, uh, a higher level perhaps today than the average Roman citizen, but the complexity of it is no less um, uh, difficult in that time than it is today. I, I think I could make a uh, pretty good parallel to uh, self-regulated organizations or self-funded organizations of the government as being just as bad as publicans. That. <laughs> That's probably when we get to the business section of, uh, of our study. <laughs> so let's, let's begin our, uh, you know, what is the biblical, what is the Christian perspective toward taxation? Um, and there's, there's a couple of uh, accounts about, about Jesus and his run-ins with taxation. But let's start with these, these verses just kind of as an overview, um, Mike, because, you know, you, you can find very small, uh, to be clear, small and, uh, um, odd pockets of Christian Christians who, who think that any taxation is uh, bending the knee to a, a human organization and not reverencing God. And they're trying to avoid taxes um, altogether because they think they're unholy. And, and I don't, and I think you've got to uh, uh, twist scripture um, pretty perversely to get to that, to get to that point. The, the first place that you might expect that we would go is Matthew 22 and, and I'll, I'll read these verses. This is the New English translation. And, and I'll read these verses and let Mike make a few points. But this, this has to do with, in this case specifically, a Roman tax. So the Pharisees went out and planned together to entrap him with his own words. And they sent to him their disciples, along with the Herodians, and said, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You do not count anyone's favor because you show no partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus realized their evil intentions and said, Hypocrites, why are you testing me? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, Whose image is on it? 
and whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's. And he said to them, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Famous passage, Mike, what's your takeaways? So one of the interesting things to note here is the, the subtext. Um, there was a, a, you know, a, a movement, a discussion, a philosophy, a theory amongst the Jews of the day, exactly what you mentioned earlier about the fact that because the Jews belonged to God and they were God's chosen people, they should not pay taxes to Caesar because if they pay taxes to Caesar, they're saying Caesar is king, which extend a little bit further because Caesar also saw himself as God, as a theocracy. And if paying taxes, you know, if you follow the string down, if you pay taxes to somebody that thinks they're God, then you're claiming that they are your God. You know, it's kind of a, a convoluted argument that way, but you can find, if you, you look at some first century writings, you can find those arguments um, very prevalent. So, yeah, and I, I would add there just briefly that, that the argument's not that convoluted. I mean, you can certainly get there. Um, it's, it's, I don't think it's scriptural, but it's not necessarily complex. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward argument. And, and, and secondly, this wasn't necessarily a fringe argument. There was, there was a, a section of the Jewish population to believe this. I mean, to your point, if you read Josephus, I mean, the, the zealots of the day, um, which, by the way, side note, one was an apostle. Right. The, the, the zealots of the day um, absolutely held to this idea um, that um, this, this um, reverence, as they saw it, to their Roman oppressors was a slap in the face to God. Well, and, and I'm, all right, so here, here's where, I, where I'm going to say convoluted on this and, and why I chose those words is it's hard to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. So let me start there. However, based on the actions of most of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees, this was more about actually paying the coin than what the coin represented, right? We can see a pattern of them. They weren't necessarily worried about the religious significance of paying taxes to Caesar. They just didn't want to come out of their pocket. And so they make this religious argument to kind of get around paying it, but they also know they, they can't. So they make this religious argument, but they pay. So hence they drag the Herodians with them, right? Yes. You know, so they're coming up because they know that this is a widely held view and Jesus being the good teacher and the son of God surely would say, you can't bow your knee to Caesar. And when you give a coin to Caesar and then the Herodians would arrest him. Correct. And so that, that's should, what they intended to happen here. Yeah. We shouldn't skip over who, who, uh, who's playing the game here because that's critically important is that, that the Pharisees and their, uh, what is it? Their disciples, I assume that means the younger Pharisees mm -hmm. went, went with the Herodians and these were not common bedfellows just right. so we're clear. I mean, I mean, these, these people wouldn't probably eat with each other on a, on a regular day in Jerusalem. But the, the intent here is that whichever way Jesus answers this question, they've got it right. That, that if he says, well, I'm, yeah, I, I, I obey the Roman authorities. I, I, I pay taxes to Caesar. Well, then the Pharisees jump on him from a spiritual perspective. Well, how could you, you know, Caesar claims to be God and King and, and all those things that you mentioned. If he says, if he says, no, I'm not even an obligation to Caesar, then Herodians come in. By the way, the Herodians are the ones that actually had their livelihood on the basis of this tax. It was pretty important for them to, to, uh, to collect this. And so from, you know, if the secular route, the Herodians would arrest him on the spiritual route, and the Pharisees were there to, to, to leap on him. They, they, they laid this trap um, for Jesus. This was not a, um, this was not an unwise thing from an earthly perspective. This was pretty shrewd yeah. of them, the way they tried to uh, construct this, this test for Jesus. Yeah, and, and, and the way Jesus answered it is, you know, of course, it's perfect because he's the son of God. But, you know, when, when he, he asked them, you know, for the coin, you know, I, these coins that you're spending, whose face are they stamped with? You know, whose insignia is on these coins that, that are of discussion here? You know, right, which is, uh, you know, amazing to think about. Um, you know, even, and, and if you pull the coins, which I understand because of COVID, there's a coin shortage. So maybe you don't have coins in your pocket. But if you pull coins or dollar bills out of your wallet, 
what does it say on there? I mean, there is, you know, the United States seal. There is, um, you know, there, there is the, the documentation of who it belongs to. And if you got foreign currency, it's the same way, right? We got one of our presidents on the face of said bill. So, you know, and it's the same thing for us today. You know, it, this has been a historical thing, by the way, um, going back all the way to the ancient times that whoever the ruling body was, they would stamp pieces of gold and that's how you, you, you know, it would be traded in the kingdom that they would have the king's face or insignia or seal or whatever on it. So, you know, it, it's a long um, historical piece, you know, kind of interesting. If you ever look at the history of money um, from, from when it was used, it was always stamped by the issuing body. But anyway, so that, that's a sidetrack. So he says, there are things that belong to Caesar and things that belong to God. We could, and, and Jesus very well could, have sat them down and read to them the end of Deuteronomy when God said, if you don't listen to all the things that I've said in this book, then you will be ruled by another nation. They will uh, make their earnings off of your backs and you will pay their wages. Like that, that's the, the if, you, if anybody remembers Deuteronomy, that's the blessings and curse section. If you follow me and you do what I say, here's all the blessings. But if you don't, here's all the curses. And by the way, this same thing happened when the Assyrians came in. Same thing happened when the Babylonians came in and the Medo-Persians and the Romans after them. Like this isn't new, but it's also the Jews' fault. Like you're under oppression and you're paying taxes to somebody you don't think you should pay taxes to because you all were chasing idols a thousand years ago and couldn't stop. So let me ask this question based on Matthew 22. We, we have said many times throughout the course of the lessons that we've done, Mike, that, that everything is God's, right? That's kind of the, the, the core, um, the core fundamental belief of everything that we've talked about. It all belongs to God. Now the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Mm -hmm. And so if Jesus says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's, What's that leave for Caesar? What, <laughs> so I, I'm, if, if, if you wanted to take a contrarian, kind of the, the zealot position on this, you would say, well, Jesus is saying here that, that everything is God's and Caesar doesn't get anything anyway. But I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying. So how do we, how do we parse that? How do we, how do we split that? I, I'm glad you asked, and I'm also glad the way you set up this present, um, because the answer is right below. Uh, that, you know, what are Caesars are things of the government. And as Romans 13 says, this reason you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants devoted to governing. Pay everyone what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect to due, honor to whom honor is due. So Paul writing to the Romans is essentially re, uh, reaffirming Jesus' teachings here in Matthew 22 that, you know, there is, and, and for our, you know, if we've got any millennial friends that are watching, there is not going to be another theocracy where God is king, kingdom on this earth. That's just not going to happen. That, that was an Old Testament view. It, it failed not because God wasn't a superior king. It failed because the people wouldn't follow him. God was always God, but the people wouldn't want to stay his people. So, that theocracy that, you know, going to sit back on David's throne and rule a physical kingdom is not going to happen. So what is going to happen? There has to be governments and there has to be rulers and there has to be, you know, these organizations set up to take care of people. And that's exactly what, what Paul reaffirms here is that the thing, there are things that the government has to do. The roads, the fire department, the police department, there, those, there are certain institutions that the government takes care of, schools that the government has to take care of, and we have to pay to fund those. If we don't pay to fund those, if everybody takes this view that, you know, taxation is theft and we don't pay to fund those, then we don't have police officers or firefighters or school teachers or, you know, the myriad of other things. Now, we can have a completely separate debate about how much waste is in government and that, you know, the size of what government should be. But there is no argument that government has to be funded and has essential services and functions. So let's let me take another tack at, at, at us here, Mike, with a few of the verses, as you can see, as we've changed the screen here. But 
wouldn't wouldn't you agree that much of to your point there's government there's waste there's so much waste in what is collected in taxes not only that but governments fund lots of things that as christians would be abhorrent to us you know there's there's government funding that that goes toward um you know abortion clinics or or I, i don't know you could pick any number of things here that christians might find distasteful that that things that are subsidized that that we that we wouldn't agree with um the whatever you know i, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole but but any number of things that we would find objectionable mm-hmm. and and yet we are in some small measure funding those things by paying taxes to the government don't we have would you, don't we have an obligation to avoid taxes if they're going to be used in unholy ways how do we answer that well i i think that you know first and foremost uh if we go back to the history of this country and the principles it was founded on tax avoidance is the most American thing you could do. Uh, if you can figure out a way to avoid, and, and I think there's a, there's a very important distinction to made, make between avoid and evade. Um, those are, those words sound similar, but they're very, very different. Oh, that's very different. So let me, let me promise you that, that in, uh, accounting, uh, accounting, uh, higher CPA accounting classes, there's a very common statement that that tax avoidance is American, tax evasion is jail time, and so that's <laughs> it's critically important that that we understand that that distinction. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to skip down here, but but if you want to talk about tax avoidance, and and to that we're just talking about being prudent, being uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves, being aware of the laws of the land taking advantage of um, deductions that, that are, that are, that exist, you know, in Luke three, when the tax collectors came to John and many were saying to John, what do we need to do? Um, that, that the tax collectors that were coming to be baptized, John replied to them, collect no more than you are required. So I think there's this biblical principle that, that um, those of us who are paying taxes, we, we shouldn't pay more than we are required to do. We certainly pay what what is legally what we're legally responsible for, but uh, more more than that, you know, we don't have a we don't have a moral, spiritual, or legal obligation to pay. And so, be aware of those things. You know, minimize your tax debt is a is a prudent thing. But evasion, evading taxes, not paying taxes that are due, is something altogether different. Yeah, and and I think it's important. You know. John says this here in Luke three, um, Jesus has a similar conversation with Zacchaeus, right? Remember, you know, Zacchaeus, uh, he vowed to give back all of the excess taxes that he collected um, and, and it extorted from folks. So, so several of the tax collectors that came and followed Jesus came to this same conclusion in the teaching of, you know, what's fair is fair and, and, and anything above that's access. I, I want to make a very clear point here too. Um, you are not more holy for avoiding deductions that are right. You know, I, I had this, this argument with, with a brother at one point in time that essentially he was more holy because he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't take his church contributions as deductions on his federal tax return. You know, that, that he didn't feel comfortable writing those off, um, you know, at, on, on his tax return. And, you know, again, I, I'm not here to judge the thoughts and intents of your heart, but if, if that's holiness to you, then, then I think you've misunderstood holiness. I, I think you've misunderstood kind of where we're at here. You know, the, the tax law provides for ways to account for how you spent money and certain money's taxable and other money's not taxable. That's just how, how the thing works. So, you know, it's important, I think, for Christians to be educated on how those things work or know somebody that is on where they are. Yeah. Or know somebody that is educated. Right. I mean, so get good counsel. Um, and, and, and you might ask, well, why is there such an arbitrary distinction in your terminology to, that some money is taxed and some money's not taxed? You know, who, why, why are we beholden to these arbitrary distinctions? Uh, and the answer is in Romans 13 is that we are subject to the governing authorities. You know, we, we live in the United States and there the the government of the of the United States has been put in the position that it's in by God's appointment. 
that's not some wild-eyed theological, you know, rambling. That's Romans 13. That, um, okay, let every person be subject to the governing authorities because there is no authority except by God's appointment and the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So the person who resists such authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so, bonus question real quick. Sure. Who was the uh, emperor when that was written? So I'd have to go back and parse that out. Is Nero in power yet, or are we still pre-Nero? Are we still Caligula yeah. or somebody? We're, we're Nero at that okay. point. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Let, let, let's be very clear about this. Nero was a terrible, terrible, terrible person. And I don't care what you think about Trump or Obama or uh, Bush before him or Pelosi. They are not Nero. A hundred percent, they are not Nero. Amen. Uh, and this was written for Nero. But this was also written for Stalin and Hitler and Mao and all the other scumbags that we've had, Mussolini, all the other scumbags that we've had in power that if you are a citizen, you are subject to that rule until it interferes with God's rule. If they say you can't worship God, then there's a problem. But if they say taxation is 90% of income, you got to pony up. There's, there's no arguing that. Yeah. Now, Mike, you know, if, if, if it gets to that point and you have the freedom to do so, Everybody has to make their own decisions. Do you do you move? <laughs> you know, do you go to a different location that that you that you feel um, your citizenship is more fair and you can have more uh, less taxation, so you can have more uh, funds to to do kingdom purposes. I, I don't think that's an unreasonable decision that individuals can make. Uh, but to your point, if we live in a jurisdiction, we're subject to those authorities. Are we going to agree with them? Well, I certainly not. You know, Paul was at odds with the Roman authorities at every turn, um, but he was subject to them. And I, I, I don't know that we have scripture reference for this, but I think we've got plenty of you know, evidence to support the fact that, you know, Paul paid the taxes that were owed by him. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we wouldn't make that, make that comment. And so there's this, there's this really difficult line that we, that I think we have to, uh, we have to be cognizant of is where's our primary citizenship and, and, and that, that primary citizenship, which, which Paul would tell the Philippians who were quite proud of their Roman citizenship, that he would tell the Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. Um, and that their, their primary citizenship affected the way that they treated their secondary citizenship. And, and, and that, that is the thread that has to run through all of this is that taxation is something that we're subject to on this earth that we're going to abide by because God put these governing authorities in place in, in, in the big picture uh, to, to keep some semblance of order on the earth, right? Um, and, and among other reasons. But uh, when, when that becomes our primary citizenship, then we've got an imbalance. Yes, it, and, and the, the struggle with a lot of these things um, you know, are here too. You know, we've got methodologies. If you don't like the tax code, you know, you can vote for people that'll change the tax code if you believe that they'll actually change the tax code. But that, that's that's another lesson, right? We've got things that we can do to to try to uh, you know affect change in this country based on how our, our constitution was written, based on our elected authorities, based on all that. You can try and affect change. But we also have to understand, again, to Michael's point, where our citizenship is. The government is not responsible for fixing our problems. Like that, that's, that's so anti-kingdom and anti-Christian, it, it drives me nuts. That the way to fix the problems of the world is not to outlaw whether or not something's legal. It, it's to change the hearts of the people that make those choices. You know, our kingdom goals are about affecting change in the lives of other people. And the, the issue is not whether, you know, choice A is, is legal or illegal. It's that somebody's heart is in a position where they want to make that choice. You know, that's the issue. It's, it's not the legality of it. It's that, that somebody is feeling hopeless enough to make a terrible choice. Yeah. And so we've got to understand, and when we're talking about budgeting, we're, we're, you know, we, we've gone through the financial budget, but it's also about budgeting our own 
resources, budgeting our, our time, our effort, and our energy. And if you spend your time, effort, and energy railing against the government instead of talking to your neighbor and trying to help them, then our, we've got an imbalance of resources there too. Yeah, and, and we're going a little far afield of taxes here, but just in our, in our current environment with some of the instability that's going on, I, I think that Christians rightly should support things uh, and I, not to get controversial here and I don't intend to, but Christians should support things that uh, reduce, you know, racism and prejudice. I, I, every Christian should be for that. I wish we would go about that by changing hearts rather than trying to change laws because laws don't change hearts. Um, and so if, if I could, if I could make, if I could make X person less prejudiced by, by showing them the teachers teachings of Jesus in a right way and in a rightly held way, I think that's got a kingdom purpose. Um, and so anyway, in, in a lot of these things, the, how, how we think that change is really affected, I think kind of in, indicates the, where our citizenship is primarily. Right. And, and that, that, that's my point about, you know, the, the government, whether it's through taxes, through laws, through whatever is not the solution to our problems. Jesus is. Yes. And so, you know, we need to understand time, effort, energy, what we're doing um, and, and where real change happens. So, so l- let's talk, you know, kind of uh, briefly here is our time always gets away from us. I don't know what happens to this clock when we start talking, but I don't think it's regulation. Uh, so, you know, in, in Matthew 17, you've got the temple tax. And so many of us remember that, that story. So the, the story of the temple tax is, you know, they come to Jesus and want, taxation for the temple and it's a you know a couple of denarii tax and so jesus you know asked peter you know what do you what do you think here you know that you know this is what you know we have to pay so he sends peter fishing and says go pull the first fish out there's coins in his mouth take it give it to this guy and pay our tax so mr ray cpa pull out the abacus and the slide rule you know jesus at this point, what is his effective tax rate for the temple? So, you know, you can't divide by zero. That's like the first rule of mathematics. So <laughs> if, if you've got no income, the effective tax rate is infinity. Um, these, uh, you know, in, in ancient times, you might, you might see the term poll tax or head tax. Uh, you read some ancient writings, you run into those words. Those really aren't words that we're entirely familiar with in our modern system of government because they've kind of lost favor. And that's for this reason that, that a poll tax was it, you taxed per head. So, so every or head tax, you know, per head, you know, every belly button paid the tax, so to speak. And so, um, and that's this, this tax was one of those that, that if you were, if you were a Jew, um, you, you paid this tax. Um, I think there was age restrictions if you were between 20 and 60 or whatever. Um, you, you paid this tax as instituted by Moses. I, th- I think we're pretty clear that that Jesus, during his personal ministry, didn't have income, right? He he um, he he lived um, by the benevolence of God and others, and and his his uh, carpentry trade was set aside, you know, for a few years for this purpose. Uh, so I, I'm a, I guess the real answer is his tax rate was infinity. Uh, because uh, clearly he paid the, the Roman tax, which we already talked about, rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar. He also paid this Jewish tax, um, the, the temple tax. Um, so, uh, and so that, that tries to answer your tricky little question. The, the, other, the, the other thing that I would note here is, talking about multiple jurisdictions, this is, this is a Jewish tax. Um, we previously talked about Roman tax, so Jesus understood multiple jurisdictions. I, I would also note that it was a, a complicated time to be alive, man. I mean, first century in Palestine, there are three different kinds of money that are discussed in the two passages that we've talked about. So the Roman tax was to be paid in a denarius. This was a temple tax that I think had to be paid in shekels, oh, Jewish really? money. But in order to pay it, Jesus sent Peter out with a hook to catch a fish that had a drachma which was Greek money that he had to take to the temple and convert to shekels, which was Jewish money. So he could pay the tax in Jewish money. 
And so the conversion tables that had to be in your head at this time, just to, just to live, man, you, you think about it, it's hard to make change at the Walmart. I mean, it was, it was wicked hard to, to convert all of these uh, different types of, of uh, currency in the day. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure there is a, uh, you know, drachma to shekel to the new eye conversion. I'm not sure the fish to drachma conversion is, is adequate. Uh, however, um, when we talk about this, I, and, and I think this would have been a perfect opportunity, and, I, and we've talked about this a few other times, a perfect opportunity for Jesus to stand up and talk about how unfair taxation was. Another opportunity would have been when he got confronted with the Pharisees and the Herodians. Jesus had multiple opportunities to be political. However, that's not what he was about. So, you know, when we, when we get asked these questions, and oftentimes, especially in very politically charged places, what would Jesus do? Well, I can show you what he did. <laughs> like, he got confronted with horrendous taxation. And he didn't say, no, I'm not paying the taxes, even though I have an infinite tax rate. He said, Caesar belongs to Caesar. You got this temple tax per head. I'll pay it. Albeit I'm paying it fishing um, out of the, you know, he didn't even get the fish. And I think this is just amazing. It's not even like it was a trade, right? Because they were fishing for their food. They weren't like, even though Peter and those guys were commercial fishermen, that's, they weren't commercially fishing to support themselves while for this three and a half years. They fished to eat. And we see every passage of that, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the end of John and John, John 20, 21, you know, they're having breakfast. You know, they're not, they're not trading in fish. So I think it would be a very different if they went back and got three nets of fish and took them to the market and sold them. You know, yeah, you've got some sales tax or whatever off of that. But, you know, if you go get one fish and you fry it, that's, that's not commercial use. You're just eating. And so, you know, where they're sustaining themselves, Jesus didn't have assets, didn't have income, didn't have land, didn't have any way to produce an income. You know, he was a carpenter by trade, but, but as Michael said, he laid that aside to preach for three and a half years. So he had no trade or no ability to turn an income. And yet here we see, you know, Jesus saying, well, here's your, here's your coins. I've got better things to do. Take these coins so that I can get to my kingdom business. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a great principle there for us in we need to let certain things go and focus on kingdom business. And in this, in the conversation with Peter that is, that is had between just privately between Jesus and Peter here at Matthew 17, Jesus makes the case privately to Peter that this, this tax shouldn't have been, uh, he, he shouldn't have been subject to this tax anyway. Right. I think it's interesting that Jesus makes that case privately to Peter. He mm -hmm. said, Peter, just, just between you and me, dude, I don't really owe this, but well, let's get this out of the way so that we can move on to things that actually matter. Let's, there's, there's no need for us to pick it. We don't need to, to um, you know, make some kind of a petition to try to figure out who, who needs to pay the temple tax and who doesn't. Let's just, let's get this out of the way so we can move on to kingdom goals. And I, I think that we'd be better off if we treated taxation that way, quite frankly. Right. T take advantage of the opportunities that you have, tax avoidance. Uh, but, you know, I, they don't fight the Fed, don't fight the IRS. You know, I think Christians lose a lot of time, effort, and energy fighting against things that at the end of the day don't matter spiritually. Uh, and, and I think that's the point Jesus and Peter make. Whether we pay this tax or not doesn't, but fighting it is taking away, that's the devil taking away of our time where we need to be talking to people and we need to be changing their lives and changing their hearts. And the point that, a point that we haven't made that might reserve just a moment or two of consideration is specifically in regard to Roman taxes was how unjust and unholy the collectors of those taxes were. So, you know, the, the idea of a tax collector, again, a, a Jewish person in Palestine who paid for the franchise right to collect taxes for Rome in his jurisdiction and whose income was a commission of the taxes that he was able to extort. Now you think about that, it's an IRS, an IRS agent who works on commission. 
that that these were these people were so immoral and so unjust and so um, reputationally deficient, like they literally couldn't testify in Jewish court. Like they're they, they were they were completely untrustworthy. Well, and, 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 and yet and Jesus it, never said, "Listen, this is this is unfair. This is unjust. We got to change the system of taxation." He never had that political argument. Let's get this taxation thing out of the way so we can move on to bigger ideas like converting publicans. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say. So it, it's so bad to, to Michael's point that being a publican, being a tax collector is a curse word, right? <laughs> you know, I, I think the harlots look down on publicans. I mean, you know, it was, there's this hierarchy. I mean, maybe I don't, I don't even know. It, it was, was a tax collector was a publican. Were they, even below a Samaritan. I mean, it, it's pretty close. Yes. I mean, they were, were hated. And remember, they keep getting on Jesus. And I think for some of us, when we read the New Testament, we wonder, like, why are they harping on the tax collectors? Like, he's with these harlots and tax collectors. Well, tax collectors, that bad? Yes. In first century Palestine, tax collectors are worse than harlots. I think they would have given him a pass on the harlots if the, he would have kicked out the tax collectors. Yeah, and, and again, to our main point there, the reason to bring that up is as, as vile and untrustworthy as publicans were, Jesus wasn't trying to change their collection tactics. You notice when he, when he converted Zacchaeus, um, uh, convert might be a strong word there, but I think it's probably true. Zacchaeus certainly had a change. Um, when he converted Zacchaeus, he, he didn't say, okay, Zacchaeus, first of all, let's, let's change the way that you're, extorting taxes. No, he, he, he taught about the condition of his heart and his relationship with God. And as a result of that, in Zacchaeus's repentance, he came to the conclusion himself that he was going to restore fourfold everything that he had extorted. So this goes back to your point of, if we're more worried about the condition of hearts and kingdom purposes, these things, uh, these earthly issues of secondary importance fix themselves for people that have kingdom hearts. 100%. Couldn't get it said any better. That, that's, you know, if, if you want proof, a proof text, Zacchaeus is perfect for that. Jesus mends his heart, and then Zacchaeus changes his, his practices. Yes. And, and that's the way this works. It's the, fix the heart first, and then you, you can change the practices. But if Jesus went into Zacchaeus's office instead of finding Zacchaeus in a tree, if Jesus walks into his office and says, hey, I think you should start collecting taxes this way. You should have a form and a document and a procedure and everybody should pay the same. He probably would have got thrown out on his face. But when Zacchaeus's heart's changed, then he makes restoration. Then I think it's implied that his tax collection from that point forward, because remember Zacchaeus never denounces being a tax collector, right? He doesn't leave the profession, but going forward, I think we would expect that he would collect them fairly, just what was due and not the, you know, exorbitant, um, you know, what he was collecting on top. And he obviously must have collected a bunch on top if he was able to repay fourfold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Excellent. All, all good points. I, I, I think that um, we should probably note that we were very concerned about having enough content um, on the taxation class, and now we're running into an hour. So as, as usual, we, we should not worry about our content load, uh, but, but very appreciative to those who have taken the journey with us. Um, the relationship between Christian and taxes is, is uh, uh, I think, is important, that we got the, the right attitude. You know, uh, rational, prudent avoidance is fine, but, but railing against the man has limited benefit. That'd be my takeaway here, Mike. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and for, um, you know, if some of you were looking for, you know, specific help on tax questions, I'll, I'll volunteer us. Um, if you, you know, are struggling with some specific tax questions, even if it's more financial than spiritual, um, you know, messages, uh, instant messages, text us if you got those, make a note in the comments, whatever. Um, we'd be happy to help you out on those things too. One of the things that both of us said earlier was, you know, you've got to educate yourself. And part of educating yourself is coming to the conclusion that maybe you don't have the answers and you need to find somebody that does, you know, that, that's education too. Um, and, and we'd be happy, you know, Michael is a, is a licensed CPA, although doesn't do taxes for a living. Um, he's currently building things for a living. Um, and, you know, and I'm, a, I'm a CFP, but, you know, I, I 
work with taxes and we would be happy to help guide you through it or get you to a licensed professional that's doing it um, to help you along the way. So th there's a lot to it and it's not, you know, as cut and dry um, as sometimes we'd like to think it is, uh, but we'd be happy to help you along that way too. For sure. Um, you know, we, we probably, I think we've decided a couple more lessons, one or two maybe on this Christian finance topic. And so um, we're anxious to, uh, to, to talk about a, a couple more issues and, and uh, it's been very beneficial for me. Appreciate those who have made uh, nice comments about listening to these and, and taking the journey with us. And I think as we've said before, this is, this is kind of what we do anyway when we get together. So uh, you're, thanks for, thanks for uh, eavesdropping on our, on our conversation. Yeah, thank, thank for everybody that's, that's, especially if you've hung in there for uh, several hours of this banter and uh, foolishness that happens in between making uh, 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 we We greatly appreciate that. Appreciate you tuning in, especially, and look, we're, our goal here is just to help, right? You know, if we can help get you thinking down a path, looking at things better than, than we've done, um, I think what God's asked us to do is, you know, just trying to provoke and stir each other up. Uh, iron sharpens iron. And if we can provoke you to think about some things, to reconsider some things, that then, then every minute that, that we've spent on this is uh, to the glory of God. So we're thankful for that. Thankful you're here. Next lesson, so to give a quick preview, next lesson we're going to kind of start to wrap up the Christian budget, look at, um, you know, expenditures, look at things kind of holistically, um, and then um, we've got an idea of moving into maybe looking at this from a uh, corporate feasance standpoint. Um, so we'd love your feedback on there. If you'd like us to take this into the, the corporate world for our, our small business owners and executives in the workplace. Um, so the, the preview of those lessons are, um, this has probably been some of Michael and mine's deeper discussions over the last five to seven years is how does a Christian and a leadership position within a company um, affect change and, and do things spiritually? Um, and, and how do you do that with, within certain cultures? So um, we are happy to uh, give you our hours and hours of debate that I don't know we came up with great answers, but um, we'll at least get you started in the conversation. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate every one of you. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you here in a few more days. Absolutely. Love you, brother. See you.